0: full of hope i've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope aspen's gold on snowcat takes the elk call me away i can't keep my mind on working on this fine september day i've got nimrod
1: neurosis longbows on track quest podcast we're I'm back joining me today for a quick little intro is my good buddy preston taylor what's going on preston
2: Nothing, man. What's up, dude?
1: Oh, man. I'm just uh, running around the house with my head cut off like a chicken, trying to get everything packed up from a big trip down to California.
2: Yeah, cool. You're sharpening broadheads? Yeah, got the
1: broadheads sharpened, some arrows tuned, got all my hunt gear packed up, just uh, made the family some shish kebabs on the Barbie, got our cooler packed, and we will be meeting up with uh, you and your wife. Uh, in the morning for a little walk in the woods and some lunch
2: yeah we're gonna go explore the old growth and, and check out the the river and eat some fresh uh spring chinook salmon and steelhead oh man
1: i sound uh that sounds amazing i'm really looking forward to this vacation gonna head down and see you and see joaquin and uh, for fourth of july and go see my dad my brother my sister and my nephews and taking the family and going to sneak in a little pig hunting in the mornings and should be epic.
2: Sounds like a great adventure.
1: Yeah, man. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Summer is uh, is a busy time for everybody, I believe.
2: Oh, man. I know. I'm running out of weekends.
1: Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's almost
2: hunting season. <laughs>
1: I know. It's crazy. You guys get started here really soon. It's It's just around the corner. It's pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah it is.
1: Yeah, I've been uh I don't know if you've been following along, but I've been following uh season eight of the Alone Show and rooting on our good buddy Clay Hayes and man uh they ended us uh this week with Clay coming to full draw on a black buck.
2: Oh no way. I'm I'm a little behind. I'm I'm a couple episodes behind. No way. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, he was kinda down and out and he's getting awfully skinny. He's kicking butt, though. I mean, he's kicking butt and taking names, and I hate to g- give anything away for folks that are behind, but, you know, a handful, of g- or a hand- couple, I think four have tapped already, and and uh, he's been having a hard time with fishing and having a hard time finding any kind of animal sign, and boom, he found a little, little, little pocket of uh, deer sign, and he backed out, and he slid back in there, and he got on a buck, and he drew his bow back, and they ended oh. it right there. yeah. So, oh,
2: oh, man, what a stud.
1: Yeah, dude, it's pretty dude, awesome.
2: We are rooting for him. That is awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it is awesome. Speaking of blacktails, uh, I imagine uh, you're looking forward to doing a little blacktail hunting down there in California here soon.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm getting excited. Um, my season doesn't start quite as early as uh, the guests that you're talking to. Um, I've still got another month um or month and a half that i can scout but i'm looking forward to it next weekend i'll be hiking in for an overnight to to check it out a uh, you know a fire went through one of the spots that i that i hunt so i need to see how that changed which usually can be good as long as it didn't kill too much you know and um yeah i'm getting excited man i'm shooting arrows and making arrows and making bows and getting ready
1: yeah we're uh we'll, we'll circle back to that but yeah we're 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 talking to jack harrison tonight um we had him on last week uh talking all things wilderness survival um thought that was a great episode you know it was kind of different from the stuff we normally do but i think it threw some good information to guys and it's easy to think that you know i'm not going to be that guy but you know it could happen to any of us
2: oh yeah it, it... It, it, it's all a part of the hunting experience. I, I really loved that discussion, uh, James, because Jack is a really inquisitive person, and he's not just focused on um, the animal. You know, he's interested in deepening his whole experience with with the the woods. You know, and 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 shared some really good information um, for for us when we're out there hunting. You know, like you said, it, it could happen to any of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in this uh in this episode we uh we we, we basically uh start the episode out talking a little bit about Cybertracker. Uh Jack uh mentioned that he just hooked up with uh one of your good friends, Pigmat, and uh did a uh, eval for track and sign and we dove into that a little bit and then uh, as all podcasts do, uh it took uh a rabbit hole i don't know if it was a rabbit hole but we just got deep into blacktail hunting and we really uh broke down the california seasons and talked a whole bunch about habitat and techniques and tactics and um you know it was uh i think it's a pretty good episode for anyone that's uh pursuing blacktail deer that's
2: exciting james i'm looking forward to listening to it you know jack spends a, a lot of time in the woods and and a lot of time watching animals he's constantly sending me pictures and videos and and, and wanting to discuss animal behavior and and um i'm sure i'm going to learn a lot from from what he has to say uh, i'm really looking forward to that
1: yep yep there was a lot of name dropping in this podcast uh talked a little bit about all my california friends in there including you so you'll have to tune in and and check that out, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, like you said, uh, Jack is definitely a student to the game, and um, he's worked really hard the last couple of years, and has found some great success, and he's finding you know, his way uh, to notching his tags, and he's knocked down a couple nice uh, bucks down there in California last year, and we really dove into the ins and outs of uh, how he was able to find his success there, um, I know that uh, you were able to put a, a buck in the freezer last year.
2: Yeah, I got super lucky um, back in the wilderness, uh, oh, eight and a half or eight and three quarter miles. And um, I missed the, the three-year-old buck he was with twice <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh, was able to to kill a young one and um, re- really got a really nice gift from the woods, you know, and packed him out and... We've been eating him. He tasted really good. Yeah, <laughs> it,
1: was, it was a good. It was a good gift. That's the that's the beautiful thing about traditional archery and shooting the longbow and wood arrows is, it's such a silent, quiet weapon. And and sometimes when you miss it. You can, you can capture another uh, opportunity or two.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got going on with, uh, you know, drying out and getting ready to sell some staves and building bows for sale and. And I know you're new on Instagram. Why don't you plug what you have going on and, uh the new book, uh, Tracking the American Black Bear. I think it doesn't matter if you're hunting deer or lion or bear. Uh, this book really covers woodsmanship skills, uh, and it's got a, r- a really... Uh, you know, it's got a really interesting perspective that uh, most people uh, are uneducated about. So yeah, tell tell the listeners a little bit about the book and and Tracking Longbows and what you have going on, Preston.
2: Oh, thanks James, I appreciate those kind words, man. Um, and, and that <clears throat> sort of is the hope of my book. Um, even though it is focused on black bears, uh, the first half really is about how to learn about any animal um, and, and how to, how to find their sign and, and follow it through the woods and, and get close to them, you know, reading the wind and, and, and moving in on them. And, um, so it, it really can be applied to, to any, you know, animal that we're hunting or that you just want to learn about, you know? Um, and so, yeah, like you said, I, I started an Instagram page. Um, some folks have messaged me and, and, um, I apologize if it takes a few days to get back. I'm still learning the intricacies of that thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've been teaching you. I've been
2: coaching you along the way.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I'm on their tracker longbows. This is my website, trackerlongbows.com. Um, and uh, I've got some staves. Yeah, I have Osage staves drying. I'm right now. I'm planning out my winter season where i've got some you know local deer hunting that i'm doing uh i'm going out of texas to do some pig hunting and to teach some tracking workshops uh, and I'll that's in
1: those tracking workshops that's through cyber tracker
2: no these are just these are just um me and my buddy pig matt are, oh. are doing those yeah awesome. so just just tracker training for anyone that's interested in in learning how to find animals. We're going to go out and, and get on trails and follow them and hopefully catch up to animals and sneak up on them and, and, and work on the mechanics of, of trailing them, whether that's, um, to find the animal, to hunt them, to, to follow them, to learn about the animal, to scout, or even to, you know, find the animal after you shoot it, you know? Awesome. Um, so, so we're doing a, yeah, a couple different weekends of that. And, and one in Texas, one in Arkansas, And then we're going to pig hunt in the middle of that. Um, we got a ranch down there with a buddy, uh, Jonah Evans that, um, wants some pigs removed if we can, if we can do that. So Mm. doing that. And then, um, my wife and I are going back to, uh, the Southwest for javelina and, and quail and rabbits and maybe deer. And, and then, um, I got another couple of big four day trailing trainings going on in February in, in Southern California. And, uh, and in between all that, um, going to go collect more Osage. Yeah. Just kind wow. to stack up the, the bow staves. Yeah.
1: Wow. The, the trad life is, sounds busy. So, sounds <laughs> yeah, awesome. <it's>
2: super busy. <laughs> are, are,
1: uh, are this, are all your spots booked for some of these classes you're running with pigment?
2: Yeah. Right now everything's booked up. Um, but if folks are interested, you know, just reach out, uh, on, on Instagram or on my email uh, TrackerLongbows@gmail.com, um, and and get a hold of me. We can we can set something up. Yeah,
1: yeah. And your Tracker Longbows on the Instagram and TrackerLongbows.com, and you can find your book that way. I know your book's also
2: available on Three Rivers uh, website. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, Three Rivers. Uh, I'm I'm just so honored that that they, that they'll retail it. You know, there's so many classics and and legendary um bowyers and and hunters that have their books you know on that website so it's pretty cool three rivers is doing it yep yep you can also yep. find on, it and on amazon yeah and on that amazon place so <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah that's awesome we'll support uh press any way you guys can because Preston has worked his tail off to uh get this information out to you guys and it all comes uh you know very authentic and honestly and um, I can attest uh spending time in the woods with Preston. I'm trying to make you blush here, but uh it's 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 next level woodsmanship skills, uh folks, and and uh I think we, we all need to focus more on our skill sets and less on technology. That's uh that's my uh, takeaway for today. And uh I know you agree on one. that. Yeah.
2: For sure, man. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate those kind words, James.
1: Yeah, not a problem, man. Uh, any way we can do to help all our friends out. And yeah, in this episode, we've got Jack Harrison back again for episode 119. It's a second look at uh, what Jack's up to in the bow hunting world. And there's a lot of woodsmanship skill uh, discussion here and talk about blacktail deer hunting and pig hunting and uh, really everything in between. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Thanks again, Preston, for joining me on this intro.
2: Yeah, great to talk to you, James. See you soon. See you tomorrow. <laughs> ah,
1: sounds good, buddy. quest Podcast. We got Jack Harrison back in the house. What up, Jack?
3: Not much, man. I'm stoked to be here again.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, it's, yeah. Last week was fun, and I think it was well-received. And uh, today we're going to get into some bow hunting.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I got some great feedback from from listeners from the podcast we did last week, and it's. I'm. I'm really looking forward to just talking with you about about bow hunting.
1: Yeah, I've know, had down
3: here deer season. Several deer seasons right around the corner.
1: Yeah, you guys have. It's about to be there. I know. I had several guys reach out and tell me they're guilty of, of having a heavy backpack and not taking it with them and wanting to lighten the load and get a more practical setup so they're prepared and so you know i think we uh you know definitely had an impact had an impact on a few fellas so that's good um yeah california a zone deer opens what here in 10 days or something
3: yeah i think it's nine it opens july 10th um and that is I believe nine or ten days away. It's it's close. It's really close, uh, and it's uh, getting to that time where you start start wondering, like, man, am I ready? Did I did I put in all the work I needed to put in? Totally. Um, as you know, scouting, at least for me, scouting is something that that I try to do during the season in preparation for, for the next season, but, and, and also after the season, although as we get close to the season here, I do try to spend less time in my, in my spots uh, here over the last month or so. You know, June is that month, late May and June. I really try and back off. Um, And that's something I, you know, I learned from, from talking to other guys like you and Joaquin and, and, uh, other guys that, that hunt blacktails from, from true stands, um, or, or not from true stands. And, uh, so I'm, I've got a little, uh, anticipation to go up there and, and see, you know, are they still doing what they were doing a month ago? My guess is no, but that's deer hunting for you.
1: Yeah. Opening, opening day is always exciting no matter what, uh, animal you're pursuing especially when you're hunting near home and you've done your due diligence and your scouting and you know it's just a kind of like christmas morning, you know, waiting for that to happen. Um I know I'm coming down to California for a family trip. We're coming down on the 4th of July. Uh, speaking of Joaquin, we're going to go have 4th of July with Joaquin's family and uh me and my family and we're coming down for a family trip and going to go down and see all my, uh, my see my brother and sister and my nephews and my cousin and my dad and whatnot, but there I'm always sneaking in a, some hunting uh, on every trip I go to. So my wife's an angel, and I'm gonna pick up a California license and a pig tag, and uh, Dad's got a few properties for me to get out, stretch my legs uh, in the early morning, and see if I can uh, turn up some hogs and. Who knows, if I see some deer, I will only be there for the opening day of deer season, but, you know, maybe I'll buy a tag for a one-day hunt and then come back later in the year and hunt a little bit with Joaquin or whatnot. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about coming down to the Golden State. I'm excited just
3: to hear about your experience coming down here, and I'm I'm just curious to see how it goes for you, because you know, uh, a lot of the guys that, you know, hunt hogs, and that's something we'll probably talk about here on this Mm -hmm. podcast, but a a lot of the guys that are hunting pigs, they, a lot of it is, is learning an area, um, with all, with all hunting, but I think, I think one of the cool things about going to a new place and, and hunting an animal that you haven't spent tons of time hunting in that place, I know you've spent a little time down there, but um is you you see it with fresh set of eyes, yeah, and so I always really like to hear from guys that have are just learning something or experiencing something kind of out of the norm for them because sometimes they make observations that I've overlooked or they see things that I don't necessarily see, and on several occasions you know i've I've talked with guys that you know went and hunted hogs for the first time and and their insights actually were super valuable to me as somebody who's been doing it for quite a while.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I'm excited to hear about that. I think you gave me some sound advice earlier in the week because I was telling you that my dad's got, I think four properties for me to check out. And you were like, well, go to the one with the best habitat and, and, and just grind it out there. Um, and, uh, as I was talking to my dad, it sounds like one of the properties, uh, being this time of year. um, you know, looking for water and whatnot, like it sounds like it's going to be the better property this time of year than, you know, some of the properties might be better in the winter or whatnot. So I kind of want to go there. And if there's sign, I think I'm going to stick to the script. Like you said, and just, cause I only get like four morning hunts. So probably yeah. just try to see what I can see there. And maybe I, I'm kind of looking at it as a scouting trip really. Cause once I have my license, I'll be good. California's te- uh, license goes from July to June, so I'll be I'll be good for a year, and I'll come back in the winter or whatnot. So no, I think I'm pretty excited, and I have only spent a couple days down there hunting hogs and never actually gotten into them. So I got a lot to learn, and pumped, uh, you know, talking to guys like you that hunt them year round, and Brian, uh, who yeah, uh, Brian's been a huge mentor of mine for sure. Yeah, so he's the hog slayer. Yeah, he is the hog slayer for sure. So Brian Moore, so yeah, I and I talked to him on the phone the other day and he kind of reiterated what you said, you know, water is king this time of year and and find the water and find the sign and you'll find the hogs. So that's kind of the the game plan there, but I'm just excited to get out and kind of I'm kind of considering it a scouting trip if anything. It's more of a family vacation and Um, but yeah, you know, Yeah,
3: just go tracking.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
3: That's, what's so cool about hunting pigs is, is for someone like you, that is really on that like journey of, of learning tracking, um, from on a pretty deep level, more so than just like, you know, following a set of prints, but interpreting them, aging them, uh, identifying prints that are made by animals that aren't necessarily game animals. But with hogs in particular, they're just a wonderful animal for somebody who has some experience tracking and, and, and is interested in learning and making observations. I think if you're closed off to that and you're just focusing on like seeing an animal, or looking for something super specific, it's really easy to to overlook, you know, some flagging in the grass that could have indicated in animals that, you know, that animals are using that trail, specifically hogs, you know, Um, they're lower to the ground. And so they tend to leave a lot heavier flagging that lays down in the grass in comparison to deer, which have, you know, long legs. And so their belly isn't pushing that grass down, Uh, especially um, sow, sow sounders sow sow piglet sounders which are like uh you know matriarchal groups of a mature sow or a couple mature sows their yearlings, and their offspring um young piglets is what i mean by offspring right there because technically it's just one big family group but those those piglets and younger pigs you know they're so low to the ground that when they walk through the, that dry grass it really lays it down and so it's cool you can you'll see some pig trails. And I think you're going to have a a really great experience just from your recent experience doing the eval and hanging out and talking with some, some really high level trackers.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I didn't mention um, um, on our trip down the coastline from Oregon to California, on our way to Joaquin's for our 4th of July, we are going to uh, have the privilege to hook up with my tracking mentor preston taylor um we're gonna he's gonna be uh surfing fourth of july morning with his wife and we're gonna meet him at the beach and uh we're gonna plan to go on a little nature walk in the redwoods with uh his family and mine to uh stretch our legs and get the dog out of the car and then we're gonna go over to preston's house and he's gonna make us lunch so that's gonna be pretty cool gonna pick his brain a little bit more before uh I head down to Central California to see family.
3: That's going to be awesome. Yeah, Preston is such an amazing tracker, and you know, I I just got to hang out with a, a friend and mentor, Preston's, uh, this last weekend. A, a fellow named Matt Nelson, who is often referred to as Pig Matt, because he is uh, just an incredible pig hunter, and. The amount of information and knowledge that Matt has about pigs is the way he sees them and their place in the ecosystem is really unique for somebody who grew up hunting them and has, has killed as many as he has. Um, and Preston, you know, those two have spent so much time hunting pigs together that Preston also is extremely um, well-versed when it comes to hog hunting and just has an enormous amount of experience trailing hogs, you know, following fresh tracks into a, into a bedding area that may have a big boar sleeping in it. Um, so it'll be cool. You'll get to pick his brain a little bit on pig hunting. And I certainly would, uh, expect Preston to to give you a few gold nuggets of information that would help you out when you go down there.
1: Yeah, definitely. The cyber tracker guys are, next level woodsmanship skill folk I mean it's we've talked about it on the podcast before with Preston but it's pretty impressive and it's some t- so it's almost hard to articulate uh, how impressive it is when you see the way these guys move through the landscape and how uh, nothing gets past them I mean from from what the insects are doing to what the birds are doing um, which almost probably sounds corny to someone who doesn't know but if you know you know
3: yeah i did my first track and sign eval this weekend um i had opportunities a long time ago back in like 2008 um to do an eval and at the time i just wasn't interested and uh so i did my first track and sign eval this last weekend and i can say that um first off i would highly recommend it uh, regardless of how much you know or think you know, because more so than what I what I took away from the eval was it was like a tracking class. Like I, I did all right, you know, I I scored in in the high nineties, um, and my you know I, I would have liked to have gotten a hundred percent, but ultimately it was more like a class than a test. And to kind of back up what you just said. These guys that are doing these evals, you know, they were asking questions like they'd find a a deer skull. And the question would be, you know, whose skull is this? And how old was this animal when it died? And what they were looking for there was literally the year. Like, how old was this animal when it died? And I don't know how many of the folks listening to this podcast could pick up a skull, a deer skull, without antlers and know exactly how old that animal was when it died. And I'll tell you from firsthand experience, they did. And, uh, there's some incredible tricks to learn how to do that. And I was just blown away. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's I'm super inspired to, to get out and do more tracking. Um, you know, I've been tracking a long time, but, but I'm never going to look at the ground the same again. Uh, And I'm, it's just made me so excited for deer season because it sort of validated what I was seeing and where I'm at, but it also just created this vacuum for tracks. And so I feel like I'm just like, I just want to see as many tracks as I can possibly see and, and look for more rubs and analyze those rubs and ask tough questions. Um, And so I'm, I highly recommend taking an eval if you guys get a chance. Um, Even if you don't know a whole lot when it comes to identifying tracks, you will leave that eval with more information than some folks might learn in a year of going to classes.
1: Yeah, totally. uh, By
3: far one of the best experiences I've ever had.
1: And you did a, a, a track and sign eval and got your level three in track and sign. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that's correct.
1: Yeah, and so and yeah. I did the trailing eval uh, with Brian McConnell and Preston Taylor, and so that's. Go ahead and describe like that's there's a, it's a two part system, right? So go ahead and
3: yeah. So the uh, the trailing eval, which you guys talked about um, on your podcast with with Brian and Preston, the trailing eval trailing is. is the act of, of, following an animal. Um, and you're not necessarily just following prints cause that has to do with the substrate, but the trailing eval is basically, they are evaluating your ability to pick up a fresh set of tracks and locate the animal that made those tracks and do it gracefully and without disturbing the ecosystem you're moving through, like being a part of that environment and interpreting all the sign as you go through there. Um, the track and sign eval is they're evaluating your ability to identify any form of track or sign. And so the track and sign eval is, could be a combination of things from a scrape that a turkey made, some old feeding sign from a turkey. It could be dove tracks on the ground. It could be toad tracks crossing the road and interpreting what animal made that. And which direction was it going? Could be a bobcat um, latrine in a scrape. It could be a mountain lion scrape, uh beaver two, pack rat feeding sign, uh, deer trails, a buck rub. Um, on our eva- eval, one of the questions that a lot of folks struggled with was actually a browsing sign, deer browsing sign. Um, and uh, so it... it they're evaluating your ability to identify any type of sign that is left by an animal, whether that's a skull, a bone, uh, a, a piece of fur or hide, a feather. We had several feathers on our eval, um, you know, scat, tracks, all of it. And uh, so I think for starters, I'd recommend if you're, if you're interested in doing an eval, I think that the Cyber Tracker guys would and gals would would recommend that you start with a track and sign eval. Um because the trailing eval is something that requires a bit of a foundation before you go out and do it. And so it's good to start go do an eval, go in there with no expectations, um, because the advice that was given to me was just go to to see how it works and and get your baseline, see where you're at. And I, at the time I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to go get a hundred, you know, or whatever I, I was in my own head. I was feeling kind of cocky about it, but after the experience, now the advice given to me is the same advice I would give to others, which is just go with an open mind and see how they do it. And ultimately, uh, you know, the getting my level three is, is really cool. Um, and I'm really proud of that patch that I earned and I'm going to continue and try and get my specialist, which is a a lot harder to attain. Yeah. But anyways, um, I just go into it with, with the, uh, the intention to learn because you're going to learn so much. And there was a couple hunters in ours. Um, there was a guy that, um, is the vice president of one of our local archery clubs and he showed up just to, to increase his, you know, his knowledge. And he didn't leave with a certificate because in order to get a certificate, you need to score 70% or higher. Um, But the experience to him, he was there to learn. And so the certificate wasn't why he was there. Um, So it's just like going to an awesome class and meeting a cool group of people. And I can guarantee it'll push your edges and uh, you'll leave there being a much better tracker and ultimately a much better hunter.
1: Totally. I couldn't agree more. And for the listeners that are just kind of curious about that scoring system that you alluded to, if you score in the 70%, 70 to 79, you're, you're in that level one area. And in the 80s, you're in that level two. And in the 90s, you're a level three. And a 100% is what it takes to get the level four. And it's the same in the trailing evaluation, same scoring system. And it's a very, it's, it's built on honesty. There's no, there's no magic here, folks. It's, it's what, what's, you got to show them what you know. And, and when I went into it, I went into it with the same attitude, but just trying to get a baseline of, of what I knew and how I could improve on it. And the stuff I learned there, uh, and the confidence it gave me, you know, is, uh, so valuable. And, you know, I definitely recommend everybody to uh, look into uh, Cybertracker because, it, it, like I say, it's the, it's the Woodsmanship University. I mean, these, these guys know, guys and gals, they, they know their stuff. It's, it's pretty impressive. And then the two things work together, l- l- knowing to understand the sign on the landscape and then how to use that to follow the animal that you are pursuing. Um, it, it's pretty cool stuff. It's, it's really cool stuff
3: and you're, you're thinking about doing a track and sign eval, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, uh, it is definitely, um, on the bucket list. I want to try to do one this, this coming winter. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, like, and I want to, and I am a little nervous about it. It's like, man, all that stuff, there's a lot of stuff I need to learn, but, um, I w- like, I want to go in there with, uh, just, uh, Find my baseline and, and figure out where I'm at. I've uh, got some books uh, on the way to uh, do a little studying. I'm getting uh, Mark L. Brock's, uh Track and Sign, Volume 2, or Second Edition, I think it's called. Second Edition. Yeah, and um, uh, What the Robin Knows by John yeah. Young, is that? John Young. Yeah? Yeah. I- yeah, I
3: recommended that book to you guys uh, a couple years back. I remember before, before we started talking. Uh, I think you did an episode, and I remember sending a message to you a long time ago to TragQuest, recommending that book. It's a, it's an amazing book.
1: Yeah, so I
3: got. I highly recommend it to anyone.
1: I got those coming, and then also getting Mark Elbrock's uh, book on skulls, uh, mostly for my daughter. Of course, I'm gonna. Uh, you know, read it as well. But my daughter's obsessed with uh, animal skulls, and she collects them. And she goes out uh, searching for them. And and my my yard's full of bones. I told her stop bringing home all the bones. Just 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 get the skull. <laughs> There's a, so so she, she'll pack her bag full of bones uh, all the time. She's obsessed with with finding uh, dead animal uh, remains, <laughs> which is kind of funny for a 16 year old girl um yeah, but uh, i can relate yeah it's it's such great I stuff and it it uh it really enhances your relationship with uh the outdoors and i'm so excited to have met uh Preston and Brian and yourself and you know all these guys that uh have a uh um, are, are you know looking for more information or have a, a deeper meaning and connection, uh, with, uh, the, you know, the wild outdoors or the natural world, we should call it. Yeah.
3: And, you know, transitioning into, into talking a little bit about deer hunting and pig hunting, but the deer hunting specifically, um, you know, tracking for me is how I scout all of my scouting and I think this is probably the same for, for most folks, but all of my, the deer I'm hunting, I rarely ever see, um, I'm hunting in, in thick forest. Uh, and the deer that I'm hunting like that, especially the bucks, they prefer to be in the thick timber. Um, and I never see him. And so even during season, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll, maybe two or three bucks while hunting a year um and you know that's not including driving or last you know most of these places i'm hunting aren't big open areas um california has a lot of different terrain and and kind of the area that i live in um is on on the cusp between where deer are recognized as blacktail and then And within this same county, Santa Cruz County, I would say there are also coastal hybrids. And I think a lot of that is dictated by their habitat, which is why we see such a stark difference between the blacktail that you guys have in Oregon and the blacktail that we have in the northwestern part of the state. And now as we come south into where there's a lot more of this coastal mule deer, coastal hybrid uh, gene, I think some of that is dictated by the habitat they live in. And what I'm getting at is that I I prefer to hunt in the very thick timber. Um, when I'm looking at places to hunt, I'm, I'm looking for the thickest areas that I can. Um, and so I almost never see these deer. Uh, my glass, uh, I do carry it, but glassing isn't a technique that I – could say that i've ever used successfully uh in these spots that i'm referring to it's certainly really valuable in open country and is also very valuable when still hunting but the places i'm hunting i'm i'm lucky to see you know 40 yards away um that's that's like a good view because there's a lot of topography and it's very steep and there's a lot of varying you know ages of trees which makes for a very dense, thick canopy, along with an extremely thick understory due to poor forest management. Um, and so ultimately, I, I'm tracking when I'm looking for deer. And I, when I'm scouting, I just go wander around in the forest and pick up deer trails, and I'm looking for scat, I'm looking for red, I'm looking for you know, excavated beds, hair, feeding sign. And I'm just kind of cataloging that in my head. And what I'm looking for is is the areas that are being used heavily. And I'm not specifically keying in on those areas as places I want to hunt, but I'm trying to figure out why they're using that area. Right. And And trying to find areas that are similar that haven't been hit yet. And maybe those are the areas I'll hunt planning ahead, um, looking at food sources and stuff like that
1: and that habitat yeah, and and that habitat is specific to blacktail like that that is um, that is how they operate so you know as you say you're on the cusp of that coastal mule deer hybrid um blacktail um habitat there um blacktail no matter if they are living in um right on the coastline or in in the valley uh in in rolling oaks they they are creatures of the thick brush um they're not an animal that wants to bed out in the open um uh, most of the time they they really use the brush to to their advantage and and it's what makes them so difficult to to learn about and and to hunt
3: yeah it took me it took me a long time to figure that out because I think a lot of other, you know, California guys probably deal with the same thing when they're learning it. And that's just like, yeah, you can go to certain places and there's going to be bucks in open country and there are, you know, great places where you can spot and stalk, um, that exists for sure. But where I live for the first, you know, three or four years, I was hunting these open areas. And they weren't big open areas. It might be, you know, the size of somebody's uh, house or whatever. You know, like say like 80 yards wide, square in a in a circle or something. Um, and that's what I consider a very large open area. Um, and so I was I was hunting these open areas, and you know, I'd, I, there were lots of, there was lots of deer sign coming through there. But but these open areas were not, were not being used during the day, and they were mostly being used by you know younger bucks does. Um, yearlings. And I eventually realized after sitting in these open areas for multiple seasons and really not having a whole lot of encounters um, with bucks and hearing deer in the bushes, you know, I'd be sitting there and I'd hear in the bushes, I'd be like, dude, there's deer walking around in thick stuff over there. And eventually I was like, I need to go sit over there. Sure enough, go sit over there. That's where the bucks are. You know, they're on the edges and they're in the thickest stuff that they can find. I've literally watched them walk through the forest, just literally avoiding any open space. Like it's hot lava. Like they're following this crazy trail of the thickest, nastiest stuff. And it's stuff that you would look at and be like, really? A deer is going to walk through that and not walk on this beautiful open doe trail? Uh, And it's funny because those bucks are just going to, they choose the thick trails. They choose, they, they, they don't follow a lot of times. My observation has been they're not using the, the heavily beaten down trails that are, you know, in the open. And I've really had to tailor how I hunt these animals so that I can, um, get to them in this, in this thick brush. And, uh, that involved, you know, picking up a tree stand for me, certainly it could be done off the ground. And, and I do have, uh, mentors who've been really successful with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's come down to, to ambush hunting them and it's, it's been challenging. Like, uh, I I've had, I've had a lot of seasons here where, um, I've yet to have a season where I tag out, uh, and felt like it was easy at all. Um, most of the time I have to sit a minimum of, of 20 days, uh, before I even see a buck during shooting light. Um, and I'm hoping that over the years, maybe that's going to change, um, but yeah, it's, it's been challenging and I really enjoy it. Um, I love it. I love sitting out there. I love kind of playing that chess game. And, uh, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that black deer aren't as habitual as I once thought they were. And just cause there's a heavily beaten down trail that a buck walked past, you know, the day before on doesn't mean they're going to walk past today
1: right um
3: and you know both of us and historically have used trail cameras and it's really easy to get derailed with trail cameras because with black-tailed deer just because you you have an animal that walks on that trail doesn't mean that's going to be beneficial to you that year yeah Uh, if anything that that means you could probably rule out that trail (laughs) for the rest for the next two weeks totally like not a
1: yeah, my uh, observation with the trail camera um was I I hang a camera on a tree and in return I get a picture of wildlife, but it and and I think that you can use it uh, smarter than the way I've used it. You you could use it in the off season to see how they use a food source. But yeah, the 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 actual patterning them uh for trail use. Doesn't seem to have a lot of correlation, and it really just kind of uh, derailed my thinking process. And because I'm willing to shoot any legal buck, um, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't need to have a, an inventory per se. Um, so I, I scrapped them. I, I, I actually sold all my trail cameras. Uh, I kind of wish I would have kept one just to to use for security over my camping spot. You know, I may get another one just to hang to keep the thieves uh, from, you know, you know, getting a picture of someone that pulls into my camp type of situation for surveillance. But, um, and everyone's different. And I'm not fooling trail cameras. Some guys uh, get a lot of value out of them. They have a lot of fun, um, you know, checking them and and whatnot. But um, my observation was checking them just centered the area up and and the pictures just uh, gave me a small perspective of what happened in front of that tree, and I'd be like, "Oh, there's no bucks around," and then I would be like, "Well, well there's some butt tra- buck tracks right over here." So and that yeah. was k- kind of my experience with it. But yeah, blacktails are so difficult, and it's a long, it's a lifelong uh, process of learning their behavior and you know I get guilty of putting them on a pedestal and you know thinking they live on the moon and they only show up when they want to eat and breed but you know that's not the case they're always there to be killed and i mean look at Joaquin he's a guy that uh has proved that still hunting is also a uh a, a very deadly tactic and and you don't have to have uh ideal conditions to do it. And, you know, um, I've seen, uh, uh and heard stories from him taking bucks, um, in tan Oak patches where the, the, the leaf litter is ridiculous. And he just kind of walks, you know, does the squirrel walk through there and, and shoots bucks in their bed. So, I mean, anything's possible, but you know, that's next level stuff right there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Talking to Joaquin, you know, when I, finally connected with him a couple of years back and listening to the episode that you did with him. Uh, you know, I remember listening to that episode. I, had, I had been hunting my butt off that, that year you guys released that episode. And that episode dropped sort of in the middle of, of my A zone deer season. And I remember it popping up and I was actually driving back from a morning hunt. And, uh, I think that morning I had a shot on an animal that I didn't take. Um, And I had a shot on this deer. It was, it was keyed up with a small fork and horn. And, you know, in hindsight, I probably should have taken the shot. And what came into my brain was, oh, this is a young deer. And, um, thinking maybe I would have an encounter with, with an older animal, not for rack size, but, but just the body size, this deer was very, very small. And, uh, you know, it was like the size of my dog. And I remember looking at him being like, man, this, this animal is so tiny. Um, and anyways, I, I remember that podcast coming up when I was driving home and, and I think I was, I was feeling a little burnt out, you know, I had, I had sat many 18 hour days in the tree and, uh, had very few encounters, almost no buck encounters. I'd had a few walk, you know, uh, behind me, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been winded by a couple and I'd seen some bucks, but I, I'd never seen them in range or, or had a clear shot on them. And they were never in the places I was set up to shoot. So that was what I was really learning was was I was expecting them to be using these these like old beaten down you know uh, skid roads um, or these kind of more open corridors, and they weren't. And whenever I see them, they were they were in the thick brush and they were traveling you know, down, not on the peak of, not on the ridge, but, but, you know, one third down the ridge and uh, side hilling or traversing the hillside and always very early or very late, rarely in the middle of the day. Um, and I listened to that episode and it, it was, uh, it gave me some confidence because listening to Joaquin talk about those deer, um, you know, there was a few nuggets in there that helped kind of, motivate me and give me a little bit more inspiration that I needed to continue showing up. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, as you know, it, 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 you hit a point where you're just like, is this going to happen? And am I in the wrong tree? Should I just get down and leave? Um, and most of the, most of the deer I've killed came on days, to be honest, a lot of the hogs too came on days where I was like, I'm tired. I don't know if I want to go. I've been having bad luck blah, blah, blah. And then I show up and, and then it happens. Totally. Um, and so persistence, persistence has been an element, I think for me that uh, has been the most valuable, um, but also being willing to, to change and not being attached to uh, my game plan or, or what I think is going to happen. Um, and listening to his, the episode you get, you did with him and your, your experience um, one, one, opened this door to potentially still hunting. And I actually did some still hunting that year and I did bump into some deer. Um, and so it was that. And then also just being okay with, with moving and, and, and kind of just, I don't know. It, it just gave me some inspiration. I can't, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember that episode was a huge catalyst in in me continuing to hunt that year, um, having felt, you know, really burnt out.
1: No, yeah, I can relate to that a lot and hunting with Joaquin, going into some wilderness areas where we're going in, you know, six, seven miles and and not having the ability to take a tree stand with you, dropping, you know, uh, or gaining, uh, lots of elevation. It's just not realistic and kind of like, well, how am I going to even kill a deer and getting his perspective of, of knowing how to blaze through an area that is not ideal, uh, feeding habitat or not ideal bedding habitat, and then being able to recognize uh, good bedding cover, or being able to recognize good feeding cover, and then slowing down and and really using your glass, looking into under every bush. I mean, he'll often see a buck bedded down, you know, in in some thick cover and, and slide in on him. It's it's pretty remarkable, um, and not being one dimensional, you know, being You can ambush, uh, if you get the wind right, uh, just sitting on the ground. Um, I like the tree saddle a lot. I like tree stands. Um, uh, I like to still hunt as I'm looking for sign. And then when I run into, you know, using my intuition and my gut and like, oh, like it's all coming together right here. This is a spot I want to hang out in. Um, and so I think not being one dimensional is, uh, some it's kind of the theme song for going into this hunting season because I'm guilty of it with elk, with deer, you know, like I get a game plan and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to just do this. And um I, I think having a big bag of tricks and, and utilizing those bag of tricks and being able to read the sign uh is going to bring, you know, hopefully bring me more success.
3: Yeah, I can relate to that because, I know for me, it's, it's easy. I'm kind of in that tree stand phase where I'm just like really addicted to the tree stand. Um, I didn't start using a tree stand until three years ago. Uh, and I'm just super hooked. Uh, I love the tree stand. I feel super confident in it. I just, I think I just really enjoy sitting quietly in a tree because you get to see so many other things happen. Um, you know, I've had mountain lions walk under me. I've had um, gray foxes run up into the tree. I'm in, I've had, you know, owls try and land on my head. Uh, you know, I had a, a sharp shinned hawk smack me in the face cause it tried to land on my head and I like moved it last minute and thing just made a U-turn and, and got me right in the face. Um, I've had fawns and does walk under and kind of watching them communicate squirrels, weasels, you know, all that stuff. And it's just really cool to, to be up there and kind of get a feel for what nature is doing when,
1: when, when we're not moving around making a ruckus. Um, yeah, and, and, and there, there's an advantage of being elevated too. Um, last year in uh, my November blacktail hunting, I had been still hunting in the rain, and I came to this. I was, um, I was on a big fir bench that had rim rock dropping down into a creek bottom and you could hear the creek raging down there and I found a spot where in between the rim rock there was a trail where the deer were moving you know off that bench and there was a a trail running uh the length of the bench and then there was a trail coming up from the creek and so I had a four-way intersection and it was hammered and I decided to uh set up my little bench seat Uh, Off the rim where I had my wind, you know uh, not dropping into any four of those trails and I actually had does come by come up out of the creek bottom and I'd done some rattling and I had an absolute dandy buck show up and of course He didn't come on any of the trails. He came out of the thick cover towards the trails, right? and so he was at my back and uh, I had to try to maneuver around to get a shot. And I got caught moving. And hindsight, it's easy to play armchair quarterback. But, man, if I was in an elevated position, you know, like in a tree saddle or tree stand, uh, I, I may have uh, got a shot at that buck. So um, it's it's all learning. And, and, and who knows, maybe if I would have sat and been more patient uh, on the ground... I still might have got a shot, but, but I, I chose to, to try to, you know, monkey around and, and, and I was able to get turned around and get an, my arrow re-knocked and get tension on the string. Um, and that's, that's where it ended. So, you know, n- another lesson learned and the blacktails are so good at teaching you these lessons.
3: Yeah. And for me going, what really changed my experience hunting in general was approaching it with this like student mindset, right? The beginner's mindset. I think as hunters. It's easy for us to like have some success and fall into this kind of this rut of being like, Oh, I know how I'm going to do it. This is my game plan. I'm just going to go do my game plan and it's worked for me in the past. And that's what I'm going to do. And Yeah. Like you could do that. You could do the same thing for your whole life. You could have some old apple orchard that you hunt out of and the deer come into the apple orchard at some time of the year when the apples are there or whatever it is. And you sit in your ground blind and, and you shoot your deer. But I think sometimes there's, there's an opportunity to learn and with that beginner's mindset, you know, focusing less on, on success and in filling your tag and focusing more on really and like bracing, embracing that opportunity of trying new things in the long run. That's how you get better as a hunter. Cause if you constantly just do what makes you successful, like just hire an outfitter and go shoot a deer off of the property, that's, you know, really nice. There's nothing wrong with that, but are you going to learn much doing that every year? And, and then you would learn, pushing yourself and sitting on the ground and bringing some, some clippers with you and just clipping up a little brush blind on a trail and and trying to be patient and sit there or, or still hunting or, or trying to be mobile with your tree stand. I think that sometimes pushing yourself a little bit and being willing to make mistakes and not being so committed to, or, or not committed, but not being so attached to having to fill a tag sometimes creates More opportunity for success, and and yeah, in the long run, you might fill more tags having had those experiences and learn those skills. Because if we, as we're talking about it, like the tree stand, the ground blind, the the brush blind, the still hunting, like that's those are all tools that you can put in your toolbox in the blacktail woods,
1: yeah, um, or in
3: any woods for that matter.
1: And as we know with blacktail. Like you had alluded to before, um, in that story I just told, uh, that was like probably day 12 or 13, and that was the first buck I've seen. <laughs> so when, you, when you're hunting blacktail, it, it, it sounds a lot different than these guys I hear. I, I don't have experience with whitetail. I know with mule deer, I'm seeing bucks every day, you know. Uh, with blacktail, yeah. you're hunting on faith. You were hunting on faith for days, on, days and days in and days out. And, uh, it's not uncommon to get, you know, one, one opportunity, you know, maybe two. I always say like, if you hunt hard for 10 days, you might get one. Um, and so it, it's a, it's definitely a, a, a long drawn out chess game. And yeah, I, I, I've shot some bucks that have come easy and I've shot some bucks that I've had to wait a long time for. And, and man, uh. I'll take them, I want to learn to to, to get them on a consistent basis through a skill set. Sure, better lucky than good, but man, I sure would like to be good, (laughs) right?
3: Yeah, 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 me too. And and I completely agree with that. And I think as traditional hunters, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, we're, we're picking up this weapon because when you carry a traditional bow, you're carrying that bow to sharpen your skills. Yes. And it's not the weapon that is giving you, you the advantage. It's you, the woodsman. Yes. It's your knowledge and your connection to that place.
4: Your force. I
3: think that that's exactly I think it's kind of, you know, when you when you pick up those that technology to, to increase your success or make it easier, that's your decision. But just know that it's coming at a cost. Yeah. And you're you're not experiencing something or sharpening some type of skill because you're using that technology. And you know, there's lines for, for everybody has their own, you know, line in the sand for where they want to draw it. Personally, like I think the the harder you can make it for yourself and the more you're gonna learn. Um, definitely. And the, the close the closer you are limiting yourself to the more opportunities are going to slip through. Yes. Are you going to be the guy on the internet posting tons of grip and grins? Probably not. But will you be the person that knows the most about the animal that you're pursuing and have the the strongest connection to them? and, And in the long run, potentially be consistently filling tags regardless of a drought or a fire or whatnot, probably so.
1: Yeah, being able to adapt and overcome the the conditions. um, Rather, you're hunting them in the summer feeding uh, pattern or you're hunting them uh, pre-rut or uh, peak rut or post-rut. You know, really understanding the differences. Um, And that can be the same with, you know, elk. I mean, I'm guilty of scouting elk in their summer feeding pattern. And then showing up uh, for pre-rut and they're, they're not there. Um, so yeah, you, yeah. you really have to understand that, uh, and that, and that goes back to trail cameras, what, what they did yesterday has nothing to do with what they're going to do tomorrow. Um, and yeah, and, and it, there is some historical data, uh, that a camera can, can share with you that what they did yesterday might be what they do next year, that same time frame ish. Um, but uh, yeah, you really need to uh, keep your eyes wide open. Um, you know, and speaking of grip and grins and whatnot, uh, you know, you had a banner year last year. Uh, you know, looking through your Instagram page, uh, uh, from the the some really nice hogs uh, went into your freezer, some some nice turkeys, and uh, you you were able to fill both of your California. Uh, buck tags which that's a huge accomplishment dude I mean that's gigantic yeah uh, why don't you tell us uh you know throw us give us some stories and tell us how how you how uh, you made that all come together for you
3: yeah so i i uh, it is a huge accomplishment for me to to fill both of my a zone tags um, where I live in California for perspective. Just so everyone understands, you know, California, California is an incredible place as far as hunting, fishing, hiking, mountain biking, whatever it is outside. It's an awesome place to be, Um, you know, like everywhere. It gets a wrap for the big cities. And, And I don't want to even get into that. But I'll tell you right now that that we have tons of wilderness. We have a lot of it. And we have incredible hunting opportunities. Um, I don't get time off during the year. Like I'm, I was hunting, I hunt almost three days a week year round. And it, it, it sometimes gets to a point where I just got to stop because I'll get burnt out.
1: Um, I'd also like to add equipment. Jack, I'd also like to add that you guys have the earliest, I believe the earliest opener of uh, archery deer hunting in the country, which is unique to uh, the Golden State.
3: Yeah, it is. We, we have the earliest deer opener. Um, and I believe we have one of the latest in the West in that in one of the D zones, it closes like sometime in December. So we have an extremely long deer season that you can hunt off of an archery only tag. So you could technically, you could get an archery only tag, which allows you to hunt, you know, kind of a bulk of the state, I'd say. OTC. um, A balance of the state. Yeah. Over the counter and you could hunt from the second weekend in July straight through to almost Christmas time.
1: And you can get two of those tags. And,
3: uh, you could get two of those tags and you could, you could be down on, you know, you could be in the mountains looking at the ocean, you know, it's hard to call them mountains, but they're, they are mountains, but they're more like cliffs, but you could be on the fog line hunting, you know, looking at the ocean, watching whales breach and, and salmon boats, troll and stalking in on, on these, uh, on coastal hybrids out there in, in the tan oaks and in the, in the the thick grass. Um, and then the next weekend you could be up in the high country, you know, chasing deer in in a place that's mostly granite. Um, and so there's just a a giant variety and opportunity in, in habitat throughout the state. And I think that's why we have a, and every state has this. I'm I'm just, I'm a local boy. I'm a California guy. I, I, uh, I'm a west coast person. I you know, I've lived all over as you guys heard in the previous podcast podcast, but um I am obsessed with A-zone. Like that's all I care about. Our A-zone bucks. That's my thing. Uh and hogs and turkeys and and that's just what I'm most passionate about. So that's what I focus on. And
1: the A-zone um, is California's broken the up. The
3: A-zone runs runs from Southern Mendocino, which is uh in kind of on the northern the bottom of the top quarter of the state is is where Mendocino County starts. So from Southern Mendocino County, all the way to the Mexico border is a zone on the Western side of the state. So from the ocean to I five, and then from San Diego and Mexico, us Mexico border to Southern Mendocino, it's the largest zone within the state. And, uh, is has just tons of you know you're talking huge variety of different habitats from desert to high country to on the ocean to like 115 degrees uh in the
1: in the foothills so and and then b zone is going to be up to oregon from there on the on the west side of i5 to the coastline up to the oregon california border that's the b zone correct
3: that's the B zone. Yep. And then once you hit I five, it goes over into C zone up there on the Northern border. And then it transitions into X zone, uh, as you move South and East. Um, and then eventually once you've hit sort of San Francisco area, that sort of middle of the state, if you go East from there, that's where you start getting into the D zones. Um, although, you know, East of I five, there's a mixture of, over the counter and draw and most of the draw units or zones in, in the state are mule deer zones um and beautiful places like any state there's a you know there's some really coveted tags and there's some easy to draw ones and, but, the, uh, and the ao blacktail goes it's over the counter
1: and the archery only tag allows you to hunt everything but the x zones correct
3: Correct. Except C, you can't hunt C. Okay. So you can hunt A, B and D zones, which okay. make up oh, pretty close to like three, more than three quarters of the state. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's so get... there's
3: a lot of opportunity there. And uh, I hunt, uh, in a zone, I hunt in central a zone or I guess, you know, somewhat Northern a zone, but, but I'd consider it central. I hunt just South of San Francisco. Um, I live in Santa Cruz County, so I hunt, um, you know, that surrounding area from Santa Cruz down to San Luis Obispo
1: and East. Um, and you're right. I
3: really focus on it.
1: You're right there on the line where the blacktails, you gotta, you got a pocket of blacktail deer and then, and, and then it's transitioning into the hybrid deer.
3: Yeah. So uh, to be honest with you, I think we have hybrids here in Santa Cruz County. Um, I might get, if I'm lucky enough to fill a tag this year, I will, um, Probably get my deer tested genetically just because I'm curious. Uh, I, they call them blacktails down to you know the southern end of Santa Cruz County. So technically Monterey County South, uh, which is the county south of me, is all coastal hybrid.
1: And let's not, um, we're not taking nothing away from the hybrid here because they are beautiful. Bucks. Um, oh yeah! And there's always this argument on what's blacktail, what's not. They're they're all uh, tasty venison, and uh, they're all beautiful deer. I just kind of wanted to get the the you know the where the lines are drawn um, for folks listening that are interested in the state of California.
3: Yeah, and an A zone buck is just what I call them because there there's so much um, diversity in habitats, and to be honest with you. Uh, you know, whether you're in a drainage where the biggest deer you'll see is a fork and horn without eye guards, no matter the age, right. That's a thing. Um, or you could be in a drainage where a three-year-old will be a, you know, three by three with eye guards. Mm -hmm. Like there's a three or four-year-old, Like there's a possibility of mature deer, you know, being like a a non-typical six by something with kickers and trash and crazy, crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, um, and that's
3: the and then same the next drainage over. It's like a small fork and horn. That's it's the same the in Oregon.
1: You'll see. Same in Oregon. We have we have uh, pockets of uh, genetics that are fork and horn or three point only. Like they just don't ever grow more than that. And then we have, uh, you know, we have genetics where uh, they, you know, are are put, putting on the racks and they're hitting the Boone and Crockett books. I mean, it's just. Uh, it's a, just a difference of genetics and habitat and some people think the pH in the soil plays a, a role, um, uh, moisture content. I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors, but, uh, a lot of fun yeah. to hunt. So yeah, let's get back into, to your, yeah. uh, your last year so, season and, and, you know, what you learned and how you were able to, uh, to, uh, connect on these bucks. Yeah. So, so I've heard,
3: so I'm hunting, you know, central, north central zone and, um, pretty close to the ocean, uh, you know. All my all the places I'm hunting, you can you can usually see the ocean, um, or you know, pretty close to it, uh, within 30 miles of the ocean. So, last year, um, it started out. You know, we were in COVID, so I had a lot of time to scout. Uh, I was spending a lot of time out there tracking. Um, you know, using my at the time, I was, I was, you know, getting trying to figure out hot trails. So I was utilizing trail cameras a bit, although um, mostly just to to get a feel for how many deer were using these trails. Um, and those those trail cameras uh, years before actually hindered personally hindered my season. And and I, at this point, I, I I leave them up and I try to uh, I. I like the historical data and because I'm obsessed with deer, I love just any video or picture of deer. I think I'm more addicted to just deer content than anything else. Uh, but you know, during the season, I try to, I, I, they're not, I don't use them as much. So anyways, going, going into my season, I, um, years past, i would had, i would had a lot of close calls with deer. I'd had shots on some really nice deer in this area that I'm hunting. Um, but I was finding that the places where I was hunting weren't the places that I was getting regular encounters with bucks. I was also noticing that, you know, because our season starts so early, we were starting our season with deer on their summer, summer feeding pattern in the velvet. Uh, They pretty quickly shed after opener. So, or not shed, but they shed their velvet. Um, so they rub their velvet, uh, roughly, I don't know. It, it can, I've seen hard horn bucks on opener and then I've seen velvet bucks, you know, three weeks after opener, but they, they're changing constantly. And I think that that's an important part of their story is because, uh, I was just behind the deer the whole time. Um, and years past, it, it was a little bit of the same deal. I made my intention going into this season to, be mobile, to try not to sit in the same place. And that was hard for me to do. Um, and the reason it was hard for me to do is because the deer that I'm hunting, they, they don't come through the same trail every day. It's uh, sort of like a cycle. So they'll, use, they'll come through that trail eventually, but it might not, it might be once every two weeks or they'll use it three days in a row, you know, one month, and then the next month, randomly, they'll come through and use it three days in a row. And I think it's because they're changing their bedding and feeding areas. Anyways, so I made my intention to change my game plan and to, to really move around. And ultimately, it was that moving around that led me to fill in my tags. And I'll, and I'll share how that happened over the course of this story opener opener came and I think it was like a hundred degrees on opener. Um, I have to work on a lot of the weekends teaching classes. So, so I got off work and shot out to my spot, uh, hung my tree stand. And that night, um, as it cooled off just before dark, you know, I was thinking I'm like, oh, I should just get down. I'm not hearing anything. Uh, you know, I'm not going to see a deer. I was set up on a saddle that I'd, I'd hunted pretty heavily the year, year before. Um, so anyways, I'm thinking about getting down. I'm like, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to make it my rule to, to sit until it's pitch black. I'm going to sit until a half hour after dark just to make sure that I get to, to see if anything comes through here. Sure enough, right at last light, here comes a deer. Uh, it was, I'm very, I'm pretty sure it was a buck at this point it was just past shooting. light. It was pretty dark out. I in I'm in the thick timber. So, you know, as soon as the sun goes down, you know, it might be shooting light up on the Ridge, but down in the timber, it gets dark quick. Walked right under my stand, um, right next to me, kind of, there was a bunch of trees in the way. It was too dark to take a shot and, and it passed through. And I watched that deer, uh, walk through that area. It was by itself. Um, and it, again, I couldn't see it, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was a buck just because it was traveling alone. Uh, and that same trail um, is a trail that, that comes up again in this story. I got really excited about that, you know, seeing a deer on opening day. I hadn't had that experience before. So um, I, I, I get out of the stand. I actually leave my stand up, and I continue to show up to this area, breaking my own rule. Right, I continue to show up to this area and uh, see nothing, hear nothing. Uh, nothing comes through. You know, off in the distance, I'm hearing deer move around. Where I'm hunting is, is in the thick tan oaks. And in the tan oaks, for those of you that don't know, they're a uh, they're. I don't know if they're deciduous. I think they're deciduous. Anyway, they're an oak tree uh, that drops very large leaves, and these leaves take a long time to decompose and because we're in a really dry area they basically it creates like a foot of the loudest it's like walking on potato chips it's so loud that walking around out of the tree stand is just like you make a lot of noise but so do the deer and so when you're up in the tree listening to to listen to where you hear deer or animals moving in the distance is a great kind of observation to make because ultimately listening for those deer is what led me to set up in the right place and eventually fill my tags. So opening day came and went. I saw a buck. I was really excited. I ended up sitting that stand for, I think another, you know, five or six days, uh, every evening, um, eventually not seeing anything and, and I picked up and moved. And for the, for the balance of that first part of archery season, Um, I was moving fairly consistently and ultimately, you know, for, for about a week or two, maybe two weeks, I I didn't see anything. I was out there every single day. James and I were talking regularly. Um, I can't remember how discouraged I was, but I know I was just like, I was just grinding it out um i was setting my tree stands up in different spots yeah working different
1: trails i was trying to play like and, armchair quarterback for you like well what's the prevailing wind doing well maybe they're gonna change oh you got a whole new wind change, changing this week well you know i was we were always just trying to come up with new ideas uh uh and then it was yeah. fun it was fun you know we don't even have a hunt going on at that time of year so it was super fun Uh, you know, living vicariously through your hunts and, and, you know, hearing how you're going to make this change or that change. And, and, and it just seemed like you were edging closer and closer to uh, where the deer were moving in daylight hours.
3: Yeah. And that's exactly what was happening while it was happening. I, I, I didn't feel like I was getting closer, but I would have these encounters, you know, once a week I'd, I'd set up, and maybe I'd move around a little too much in my stand and I'd bust a deer out of the out of the brush somewhere in some deep canyon. Um, and, it, and I'd bust the deer out and go just launching and snorting and huffing and and take off. And sometimes they'd make a racket and sometimes they would just kind of sneak out of there and, and stot or pronk out of there, just get out of there quick. And that happened to me quite a few times. And I'm not the fastest. And so eventually I realized, you know, I've bumped deer out of this same general area, you know, maybe six or seven times now. Yep. And th- this is like uh, roughly 20 days in at this point. Finally, I made that, I think it might've been talking to you, uh, but finally I made that observation and, or that, you know, I came to the conclusion that like, wow, I, that's a bedding area.
4: <laughs> yep. Took
3: me a while to figure that out, but there's always deer in there and yep. I'm constantly bumping them out of there and they keep coming back and I slowly began to get closer and sometimes I'd get too close and I'd blow the deer out and I wouldn't see anything and I, and I wouldn't see anything for days. Um, eventually I got close enough to where I started hearing them moving around. And finally I get up there one night. I think this is in late August. Um, So, you know, season starts second week in July. And I think this was, I think I shot, filled my first tag on like August 16th of my first tag last year. Um, So I I get in there and and as I'm going to my spot, there's a, you know, we'd we'd had fires and there's constantly fires lighting all over the place. And there's a big fire down in the canyon. It wasn't super close, but helicopters are flying over my tree stand. It was, it was a ruckus. It stunk like smoke, but I finally kind of that commotion, I think allowed me to, to sneak in a little bit closer to that bedding area without getting busted. And I wasn't intentionally doing that. This was my game plan, but in hindsight, I don't know if it for sure played a role, but it would be silly for me to say that all that smoke didn't somehow, uh, and all the helicopter noise and stuff didn't somehow, um, helped me a little bit getting in close to that bedding area. Uh, so regardless, I get in close. I'm sitting in there and, and I, uh, I see a, a doe come out, and I was like, "Wow, this is cool." First, this is like one of my second deer sighting of the season. You know, I'm, I'm I'm like, whatever it is from from the second week in July to the the third week in August, uh, almost a month in, and I've had one sighting on opening day. Um, so I get in there and, and, uh, I see a doe come in and, and I'm watching the doe and the doe works off. And, and then, uh, from behind me, I hear this crazy ruckus, right? I'm hearing all these leaves and I'm hearing smacking and, 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 and antlers hitting each other. And I'm hearing like this crazy fight going behind me. I can't see it, but there's just, there's obviously two deer just going at it right behind me, like probably like 80 yards away. Um, but because of the trees and the topography, I I just can't see it. And down in that area, this is like next to that bedding area. And I had very consistently heard animals down in there, but due to the thermals, I couldn't access it. Like I couldn't get in there and set up on that area, uh, because the thermals were switching. And so the thermals were bad going in. And then by the time the, the sun would go below the horizon, they'd switch and they'd get even worse. Um, And so there was just no way to get in there and hunt hunt these deer down in that area. Big fight. All of a sudden, I hear animals kind of walking towards me. And I'm sitting in my tree stand, and and I'm not not in the same tree I was opening night, but I'm not far away, maybe 40 yards down this little finger ridge. Um, And sure enough, here comes bucks walking i'm looking for them and i'm hearing them and i'm like where are they and i look in the thickest brush i can possibly find there's like a little island of of small tan oaks and there they are they're just plowing their way through the tan oaks not even like on a trail they're just pushing trees out of the way with their antlers they're doing it relatively quietly but they're taking the thickest route possible and they come right out to where this this little clearing is of this old skid road and they stop and they freeze. And I'm sitting there, I got my arrow knocked, I'm waiting. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. I don't know if I'll get a shot at this point. They're maybe 15 yards from me. Uh, but it was front on, Uh, it was a quartering two slash frontal at that point. Um, and here comes the, I can't see the second buck. I know there's two, and the first buck walks out and he comes walking out and he's kind of walking over to this area where that doe was. And I was really surprised to even see, you know, the doe and the buck in the same area. So he comes walking out and and I, I, he's right below me. So uh, if I were on the ground, I could reach out and touch him with my arrow. So he's almost directly below me. So and I, awesome. I draw my bow. I hit full anchor and I'm, I'm picking a spot and I just, it doesn't feel right. So I let down. And, and at this point, this deer is maybe like four yards. I'm, I'm, I set my stand up very low. So I, I use, uh, three sticks and I'm typically like 10 feet off the ground, but it didn't feel right. And so, you know, I, I let down and he, he keeps, he keeps walking and, uh, my first time when I drew on him, he was frozen. He was, he was still. And something about him being keyed up made me feel uncomfortable. And so I, I carefully let down, and he takes a couple more steps. And I, I once he gets a good quartering-away angle, I go ahead and I draw back, take a spot, and I release my arrow. I remember it, watching my fletchings just bury straight in behind his shoulder, quartering or, in his ribs but, uh, maybe five or six inches behind his shoulder. Um, he was quartering away. It wasn't super steep, but I remember my arrow uh, came out of his armpit on the far side and I could see it poking out a little bit. Um, just as it moved through his body, I actually never found my arrow. So I shot him and he just took off out of there. Like it was crazy how fast he took off. And, and I remember, trying to listen where he was going and the second that I shot him, this giant gust of wind came through this huge gust of wind. And I couldn't hear him. And he just went shooting down this Canyon. And I, and I could kind of hear faint crunching noises, but, uh, but I couldn't really, other than watching the direction he took off, I, I couldn't get a good beat on, on where exactly he ended up. Cause that big breeze blew through. So I just shoot this buck I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden another buck comes popping out. And, uh, I remember thinking to myself before I decided to shoot that first deer, I'm like, well, what if the deer behind him is the bigger deer? And I was like, and then I thought to myself, dude, you've been hunting out here for like over a month so far this year. And you haven't even shot an arrow. You gotta yeah. shoot.
1: It's a legal deer. One, one, and, uh, one in the hands better than two in the bush, right? Jack?"
3: Exactly. I'd made that mistake so many times in the past. So the second deer walks out, walks up to where i had shot the first deer and kind of smells around on the ground. And he's like, Oh, where'd he go? Looks up. Kind of doesn't look at me, but he's looking around. He knows something was up and and he just slowly feeds off.
1: Did you consider, uh, uh, did did you consider shooting a second buck right on the spot?
3: So I thought about it. I was like, oh, I could shoot this deer too. But um, to be honest with you, I don't think that I will do that. Uh, at least, I don't think so. And the reason why is because the temperature at this point is in the mid-90s. Right. Um, so during our deer season, it's not uncommon for the area that I'm hunting in hit 107 degrees at the heat during the hottest point of the day um and at night it'll get down to the 70s if it's a cold night but it's so high up that the fog doesn't influence the temperature as much and and it doesn't it's not on the western side of this little mountain range it's actually on the the southeastern facing side so it gets a lot of sun um so I, I thought about it and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I actually watched this deer for a while. I'm sitting there, i texted, I think I texted you and texted like Joaquin or something. And I was like, I found it. I shot one. I got one. And, and, uh, anyways, I, I, I shot that deer and, and, uh, got down after a while, It started getting dark and started blood trailing him. Um, I had a little bit of blood. I had shot this deer with a, uh, a 80-85 Sherwood shaft that I had fletched up myself with wild turkey feathers, and I had a blue-on Simmons broadhead on there that Brian Morris had given me, a head that he had hunted with a long time ago and um, had kind of passed on to me and gave me a couple of them. And so I had shot this deer, and, and I was looking for my arrow and couldn't find it. And for some reason, there was, like, still deer down on this finger ridge and I kept hearing them. And one of the deer was like coughing or making these weird noises. And I was like, is that my buck? You know, I was hearing these weird noises down there on this finger ridge and I just, I didn't know what was going on. Um, And this is odd, right? Because I haven't, I've been hearing deer this whole time over the course of the season, but it was not uncommon for me to go out there and not hear a single animal or see a single animal not even driving so the fact that there's a buck somewhere down there in the bushes and there's a buck that i shot and there's some doe somewhere over on the hillside, side i'm wondering what the heck's going on i i still don't know why they were all there um unless you know this is an area that i'd never worked down into and so this could have been a travel corridor because um, this was the first night that i had sat finally in the thick brush okay so to so there's like an open skid road and then it gets really overgrown. And it's, it's a finger ridge that, that separates two drainages. And I think that they were crossing using the thick stuff. And I'd finally gone and sat down there. Um, so maybe these deer had been in that area the whole time and I just never heard it. I don't know. But moral, like the reason I'm bringing this up is, is I, I didn't know if that was my buck. And so I backed out of there. The blood trail actually kind of stopped. Um, and, and I, it was getting really dark and I, and I decided to, it was getting cold that night. It, it was finally cooling off. I think it got down to like 70 something and I decided to pull out of there. Um, I, I didn't have, it was pitch black. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of coyotes out there. There are a bunch of mountain lions, but, uh, and there's some wild hogs, which will totally eat your deer if you leave them out there. Um, so I pulled out, I slept in my truck, you know, a hundred yards away, got up first thing in the morning. And, uh, I, I ended up having a grid search for this deer. I actually, uh, used my Weimaraner, my pointing dog, which is totally legal in California. He's a blood trailing dog. And I got him and put him on the leash and we found the buck together. Um, and it was a really amazing experience, uh, having my dog be involved. He's a big part of my life. Um, and we went and we found that deer and we, we, got all the meat off of them. Um, and, and, you know, I was, just was super grateful to have filled that tag. Um, especially because a week later, uh, my entire County lit on fire. Um, we had to see the CVU fire happen. Uh, hundreds of people lost their homes. We had people die. Uh, this was around the time that, uh, Oregon lit on fire as well. Um, that big lightning storm came through and it just got crazy. Uh, there was evacuation notices for most of this area. I couldn't even get up there and I thought my season was done. And so at that point I was like, well, I guess, you know, I was able to fill a tag and felt really grateful that I was even able to fill that tag. Um, fires came through, you know, I'm locked in my house. Uh, For the most part, you know, classes aren't running. Um, And uh, finally, I I start going stir crazy and and I uh, I have to get back out there. Um, And there was a a buck that I had got on my trail camera that I had sent you some pictures of. He's the biggest buck uh, that I've seen out there um, this year. And I had had some personal experience with this deer. Uh, the year before, I had actually bumped into this deer and seen him. Uh, I bumped him in the morning when I was sneaking into my brush blind. And I knew, you know, he kept using this trail. And I had gotten, like, over the course of the season, the couple times I'd tre- checked my trail camera, I had get- gotten photos of him, like, once a week coming using this trail. Um, And so I decided, hey, I'm going to go set up, you know, somewhere down there, uh, see if I can find him. And my goal for finding this deer was to find his bedding area. That was my intention.
1: And uh, and what I did is I went. I know you had set up on some spring seeps too and just weren't getting luck. You were trying that because there were some sign of some really remote little spring seeps, but you just couldn't quite get good wind, uh, to, to sit on them.
3: Yeah. So I did, I did set up on spring seeps and, um, you know, I, I did, I left out a lot of, of spots that I sat in, in between opener and when I had filled my first tag, uh, as far as like last year. Um, so I, I left out some stuff. I was trying sure. everything. Uh, yeah. I spent five days sitting in the spring seat all day. So that's like, you know, whatever, 18 hours. Um, I sat two or three different spring seats, um, because it just got so hot. Uh, we had a crazy heat wave come through and it was like 110 degrees every day for like five or six days. Uh, and I, so I was like, well, shoot, that's the best time to sit water. Um, and I just wasn't seeing anything. And, uh, and so I finally made it back out there and, and, you know, killing that, that first tag that I filled or killing that, that buck last year, um, was he I found that deer because I bumped him out of his bedding area and I had bumped him out of his bedding area twice prior to finally figuring out how he was winding me where he could see me from and generally where he liked to bed uh, on this little saddle and so I finally you know after making those mistakes I finally made it in there and set up and was there when when he moved through and so having had that experience I I went ahead and tried to apply that to this new spot um, so I'm you know I moved my tree stand over to, to another little bench um, benches are a big part of, of how I hunt uh, so I like to find these little flat spots uh, on otherwise really steep slopes, and I really like them if they're like flat spots that are that are not at the top, but you know about one third, third.
4: of mm-hmm. the way same. from the
3: crest of S- the slope or same. the road. It doesn't have to be the peak or anything. Yeah, yeah. But so it just seems like those little benches there that are one third of the way down they they are popular for night beds. They're popular areas deer to cruise through and just utilize to, I don't, I don't know why they use them, but they use them. Um, you might have more insight on, on why they like those benches. Uh, but it seems like they get used. And so I, I went ahead and set up on this bench. Um, and you know, this, well,
1: I think it's because it gives them, uh, optimal, uh, amounts of escapement, uh, amongst thick cover. I mean, like you said, you're, it's steep. Then you got the bench; it's steep again. You usually, got a finger or two coming into it, so it's it's just an ideal uh, situation. And generally, the the thermals are are going to be in their favor, so it's it's uh, pretty ideal for survival for them.
3: Right? Yeah, because in the evening when they're moving around, the thermals start dropping really hard. Yeah, and so they drop from up top down into where they're traveling, and then they can see in the direction that the thermals are not going
1: and you're uh, setting up generally the on the edge of these, right? Like you're not going right up into the middle of them. You're, you're, you're utilizing the the edge, uh, uh you know, yeah. off of one side. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I'm setting up like off, uh, where the bench goes from flat to down onto the slope. Right. So I'm setting up on the slope yep. just off the bench. Yep. Um, and the way that I found this bench uh, was that trail that I had been getting pictures of this buck using. Um, that trail led down to this bench, and when I when I hit that bench and I was down there with my tree stand on my back looking for a tree to hang in, because you know that's how I do it is I just I grab my gear and hop on a deer trail or got my you know rubber boots on and I do a lot of scent control stuff. Um, you know, I hop on a deer trail and then usually I walk next to it or get off of it if it's real hot, but I follow the sign. And so when I hit this bench, I was like, there was a bunch of beds, excavated beds. There was scat everywhere. Um, there was a bunch of feeding sign and there was like seven or eight trails that intersected at this bench. Um, and then also on one side of the bench was extremely rocky. So nothing could travel up one part of the bench. So there was a little bit of a funnel. Um, and then down in the canyon below it, there was super thick tan oak. And at the bottom of this canyon was a creek with water in it. Yep. So I, so I find my tree, I sit in my tree that first night I set up on that bench. I blow a deer out. Deer comes, goes ripping out of this, that thick tan oak area next to the creek, blow it out. Awesome. I was actually stoked because I was like, yes, this isn't the right tree, but this is the right spot. Yep. So I, I uh, ended up, you know, a heat wave came through, and I, I ended up not hunting for a couple days during that heat wave, and um, the smoke was really bad.
1: Probably I ideal, though, because you got to rest the area and, and you had a new game plan.
3: In hindsight, it was very ideal. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing that I've done that's been a mistake of mine is overhunt an area. Yep. And, uh, that was something I know you mentioned to me, um, and that gets talked about a lot, but it's definitely a, a thing. And, and these two deer in particular, um, and it, it, tree stand hunting, I've noticed that a fresh area is a huge advantage. Uh, and if you can, if you do bump a deer out and you want to, you know, bump and dump or whatever they call it, um, you're better off in my experience and I don't know this is just advice I, I, coming from from me but you're better off resting that area hoping that that animal
1: will come back and use that area uh, I think that's signed too and, trying to and set I think up in a better spot. I think that's because your scent uh, accumulates uh, on, on the forest floor and uh, and they're kind of worry of, of you and they're on guard and they're making some adjustments and then when and if it's only for one day and a couple of days goes by, they, you know, they're able to, that's just my uh, assumption there. But uh, um, that's been, you know, my observation. Yeah, I,
3: think, I think you're right. And, and I think that, I think there's also, you know, here where I hunt, like there's also a lot of very like mentors of mine who have been very successful sitting like the same general area. Every single day, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been successful doing that. But those areas are areas with a food source right. that the deer cannot avoid. Whether that's an orchard, uh, some type of peach farm, you know, it's it's a it's a non natural food source. Right. Um, and I don't have access to that. Where I'm at, it's all acorns and tan oaks, and they all produce acorns.
4: Yeah. You know,
3: um, sure, some of them drop heavier than others. Uh, but it's very seasonal. And so you can sit in the same area, I think, and eventually, you know, connect. But I also think that you can shoot yourself in the foot and you could sit in that same area and blow every deer out of that whole zone and never see a buck. You might see does or spikes or whatever, but, but I can tell you those mature deer, especially pre rut or summer feeding pattern. Um, you know, if if you start pressuring them, they're, they're going to leave. Right. Uh, and they're going to just switch their trails and switch their habits and, and start using the land differently. And I've seen that in the past for sure, because um, I've been hunting these deer in this area for several years now.
1: Um, so you've so I've, got I've been, the you, know, you got the, the
3: mistakes under
1: the sun. You've got the aha moment that you're basically setting up the same scenario that you did uh, on the the first tag filled. Uh, you're you're getting ready to to repeat the process. It sounds.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think I even texted you being like, dude, I blew a deer out of this spot. Like, and I was super pumped about yeah, it. You're like, it's all um, we'll talked about it. Yeah. And I, I, sure enough, I, uh, that heat wave comes through, I go back out there. Um, I see no fresh sign. So it, nothing from what I can tell has been there. Um, I set up in a, a slightly different tree. Um, and I'm very careful about setting up when I do, Uh, when I busted this deer, I, I don't think it was my wind. I think that I busted him because of my movement. So I set up lower so that he could potentially not see me. Um, and I was a lot more careful about my movement when I got into the tree, I tried to really sit still. Um, and, and I think that's a really important element of being successful is actually sitting still. Sometimes when you're in the tree, you feel like you can just be a wild man and move around a bunch and, you know, stretch and do all this stuff. Like, yeah, that can work, but, but when I've seen success, it's cause I'm sitting
1: still. Yeah. Especially uh, when you're hunting sure enough, bedding areas, right?
3: Yeah. Super important. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I set up on this bedding area and, and, uh, I'm sitting there, I think like an hour goes by and then all of a sudden I hear some noise down in that bedding area and I hear something walking around, uh, you know, walks away from me down into the Creek. Um, I, I don't hear it anymore. I think what the deer did. Uh, so I think he, the deer, got up, walked down to the creek, got a drink, and then I start hearing some leaves crunching, heading up this hill towards me. And sure enough, I look down the hill, and a buck, that buck that I had been focusing on, uh, the the biggest buck I'd seen in this area, there he is, walking straight towards me, coming straight up the hill. Uh, it was crazy. So what's, straight up what's your,
1: what are you doing and, to prepare yourself for that? Like, you know, do you, do you got buck fever? Does that, does that affect you? Are you, are you thinking about your breathing? Are you, are you knocked already? Like what does this look like for you when the target animal is, is coming right towards you?
3: That's a good question. So I notice in the tree for me, um, that I don't get buck fever as much anymore I get worked up, but I I don't shake, uh, as much, um, you know, where your leg will start going. Uh, that's happened to me in the past where I'm like, why is my leg shaking? You know, and sometimes it's made noise and deer busted me because my leg is shaking. Um,
4: so what I do
3: is I hang my bow with an arrow knot and I use one of those little plastic arrow gripper things that you stick on your bow Yep. And it holds your arrow on your shelf. Yep. I do Um, I do the same. And and I have my bow. I have my bow ready to go. Um I've missed too many opportunities because I didn't have my bow ready to go. Yep. And I've also knocked my arrow out of my off my bow without that little arrow gripper. Yep. Um and made a bunch of noise and Mm -hmm. had to climb through poison oak and all this, you know, it's just anyways, I keep I keep my setup so I can grab it and draw and I'm ready to rock. The second I heard that deer moving around down there, before I even saw him, I grabbed my bow because I just know how fast these things can happen. Um, And so when I saw the deer show up initially, I actually, what I thought to myself was like, uh, I think I thought to myself, I was like, oh, maybe you won't shoot this deer or something like that. I was like, well, maybe I'll just watch him. So, it's good to be true. so you talk, so you talk yourself
1: down. Uh, I think that that's a good, good tactic to calm your nerves. I kind of do the same thing It's like, yeah, this, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to work. Exactly. And I
3: was telling myself that I was like, ah, this isn't going to happen. Whatever. I'll, I'll just watch him. Maybe I'll take a shot if it's perfect. And, uh, and so I was, when this deer walked up, I was super calm. Um, really, really calm. Uh, and he, he, I shot him walking. Uh, there was no point where he stopped or any, any point where I had time to really think about it a whole lot. He just started walking up, and he came up on the bench broadside and, and just kind of angled away from me. And I shot him uh, maybe six yards uh, quartering away from me, and he spun around jumped up into the air ran down the hill and uh another huge gust of wind came through and i couldn't hear where he went but he piled up you know about 40 yards away um and left an excellent blood trail uh on this deer i was shooting a again sherwood shaft and uh wild turkey feathers and a eclipse broadhead that was also handed down to me from brian um And, uh, I hit him a little more, a little further forward than my first buck. And I got an exit, um, in front of, I think it was in front of his front shoulder, uh, and low, and it gave me a really good blood trail. Um, and that deer went down in less than two seconds. Uh, he launched into the air and, and he was on the ground really close to my tree stand. Um, At this point, by the time I recovered him, it was dark out, Um, and uh, it was a long night processing that deer and getting him out of there, and it felt really surreal. Uh, I was under the impression I wouldn't see this deer during daylight hours. You know, I think that funny joke that you and I talk about is, like, you get a picture of a buck in the dark on your trail camera, like... Might as well be a ghost that doesn't exist, right? Because the chances of of getting in, of seeing that bucket, or actually killing that bucket, is in my mind pretty slim. Um, so it felt really surreal. Uh, I was really grateful to have to have made a great shot on that beer, and uh, I'm, you know, I, I I overall, what I was most happy with wasn't that I filled my tags necessarily. It was that. I knew what I was doing and I had a plan that I executed and that worked for me. And sure. A lot of that could have been luck, but having bumped that deer out of his bedding area, having seen all the sign leading onto this bench, um, this wasn't a bench I was very familiar with. Like, this was just me walking into the woods, finding a spot that had a lot of sign hanging my stand, you know, bumping a deer getting out of there after that night, and reevaluating my plan. And when I came back in setting up slightly different and, and trying not to bump it. And sure enough, it, it ended up in in me getting a shot. Um, So awesome. And so I was so happy with, I was really happy with that. Um, because I felt like I, I learned something and then was able to apply what I had learned. Um yeah so and now you're It was an incredible season.
1: Yeah, and now your freezer is full of grade A venison.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's starting to run low actually. Sure, like, but at the time,
1: uh, at the time, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at cool, the time. It was cool. At the time. At the
3: time. Yeah, that, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was an awesome experience and to be honest with you, I, I don't think I would have had it any other way. I'm I'm really grateful I wasn't able to fill my tag on opening night because Um, all of those days spent thinking about where the deer are moving, looking at their trails, seeing where fresh scat was left. Um, one of the tricks I like to do is it gets so dry here that I like to, if it's a, if it's a trail that I think is really hot, I'll actually clear like a 10 foot section of leaves out of the way and kind of brush it with a bow so that there's no fresh tracks in there. And that way, when I walk by again, I can see if how many animals have used it. If anyone's been through on that trail, um, and kind of get a feel for the use. And that's something I've been doing this year, uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I, I like to do that kind of comes back to tracking. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy that I had to grind it out. I'm happy that every year I've had to grind it out and, uh, I'm really looking forward to this year. Um, You know, I'm going to be hunting that same area. Uh, Hopefully, you know, it doesn't burn down. Um, You never know. It came close
1: out here
4: last year. There's been
1: fires all over the West. Well, I've, Um, I've really, uh, I've really enjoyed our friendship and I really enjoyed, uh, like I said, living vicariously through you and uh, through this summer deer season of, or last summer's deer season um it, it was you know it, you know i just was super pumped each time you filled your tag and um i know that we're just 10 days away from it starting all up again and i think that uh you know you uh have really you know inspired me and i've learned a ton from uh your trials and tribulations and and i think you're gonna really kick some butt and take some names some looking forward to the season beginning for you and uh it's it's been it's been a pr- pretty pretty fun ride
3: yeah i have yeah I, i've enjoyed being able to share a lot of these hunts and talk about it with you i you've certainly um brought a perspective that that i think isn't super common in california just because there's not a lot of tree stand hunting here um at least i don't know of a lot of tree stand hunters it's definitely a legit tactic, but yeah. a lot of guys tend to gravitate towards hunting those more open places where you can see. Spot and stalk, and, yeah. And spot and
1: stalk, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which um, is fun. The fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's
3: fun. I just think you might learn a little more sometimes. Uh, you can learn just as much spot and stalk, but I, I find in the hab- the terrain that I'm hunting, I've learned more from having to play that chess game
1: yeah, with and the deer. The deer you're hunting are going to give very, very little spot and stock opportunity. And so um, if you want to hunt them day in and day out, you got to, you got to get in there in the thicket with them um, like you did. And, yeah, and, uh, and, you know, it's really cool that you were able to fill your tags through uh, uh, building your skill set up and, and creating tactics that, uh, that proved themselves to work, uh, not just once, but twice last year. So, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, that's how, awesome. I'm
3: applying, how I'm applying what I learned last year and the years before and the years before to this year is I'm really focusing in on, on utilizing those bedding areas yep. and the trail systems around them to hunt. And so that's, that's my tactic going into this year um, I've found a bunch of bedding areas that have been heavily used. Um, they're just loaded with deer hair. Last time I was in there because they were, uh, you know, transitioning from winter to summer coats. And when that happens, those beds get just full of hair. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for this season and, uh, I'm excited to, to uh, be able to just apply what I, what I think I learned, um, and, and test it out, see if it's, uh, if
1: it'll work again. Yeah, very cool. Well, um I'm looking forward to uh recapping this uh um you know after uh, this season comes and goes and um I think that there was uh you know a lot of discussed here and I think there's some great uh great knowledge that was shared. I appreciate that for sure. Um you know, my blacktail hunting happens in the month of November. And it's, you know, it's, it's instead of being a hundred degrees, it's more like 30 degrees and, and it's a more of a rut hunt. So, um, similar tactics, but a uh, different behavior being expressed by the deer. Um, so yeah, it's just so fun. And I have hunted blacktails in California with Joaquin and, um, it's a hunt that I love and, it's hard to find time in July and August. It seems to be the time that I'm spending the most time with my family, um, you know, camping and, uh, going on road trips and and stuff like that, uh, 3d shoots. Um, but I really need to try to etch out at least a week out of my summer to do it. I'm trying right now to find some time in August. Um, not sure if it's going to happen. My daughter has a a youth elk tag in august and i've got some bear spots i'm really excited about bear hunting and so we'll see if if i can get around you know if i can find time in my busy schedule to do so but until then i'll keep uh just listening to blacktail stories from you and joaquin and preston you guys are getting after it down there and it's it's a ton of fun so i like like i said i really love it and uh, we're kind of getting long in the wind here. So I think, uh, we've got room to, uh, get together and do another podcast in the future. Just, uh, talking about, you know, California, California hogging and, and yeah, techniques on, uh, Hogs
3: are like hogs are my main, my main, you know, your bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I spend more time hunting pigs than any other animal. And, um, You know, I'm super passionate about them and learning everything about pigs. And, um, boy, do I love those wild hogs. They're just such cool animals. And uh, there's not a lot of information on wild hogs. You know, there's there's very, very, very little information on wild hogs. And, and, uh, like everything, you know, there's a lot of information that gets passed around that isn't, you know, necessarily true sometimes
4: right. um
3: so it, it would be fun to, to do a podcast all about wild hogs and and maybe you guys can get you know matt nelson on here to talk about him i know just in my brief conversations with him um his understanding of wild hogs is uh on a whole nother level um as far as communication and, and scent marking and, and leaving scrapes and just crazy crazy yeah. amount of information that he has compiled about wild hog. Yeah.
1: And and on the wild hog front, that's something that I can make time in my life since it's more, it can be, you, you know, you can hunt them year round. And, um, I see myself getting back down there for sure in the winter time when there is no other hunting opportunities around and, you know, learning and trying to put some of that Schwine in my freezer because man, I've uh had some shared with me from Preston and that wild hog meat is awesome. I absolutely love it. I mean, he even made some bacon from it. Um, we ate some roasts and chili verde, tacos and some different different stuff we've had uh with the hog. It's, it's so good. Um Yeah. So yeah, that's
4: awesome. It's a really
3: tasty stuff. All really? all the, you know, from hogs to turkeys, uh it's all so good yeah um it's super fun to chase them all and i think ultimately you know being out there doing all of that um all year is really what's helped me uh learn about each individual animal regardless of if i'm currently hunting them or not you know it's like i think the biggest takeaway for me has been just spending tons of time outside learning like just being making observations and whether you're hunting or not um just constantly be thinking about like what can i learn from what this deer is doing right now you know if you're watching the buck feed you know just watch how it feeds watch what it's chewing on watch you know where it's choosing to walk what directions its ears are facing um where it moves its head what is it looking at which direction is the wind blowing you know and the same thing goes for wild hogs you know if they're coming into a wallow you know, what, which direction are they choosing to come in? Are they J hooking around it? Like, you know, all that stuff is just such valuable information that, that will ultimately in the long run, give you an edge when it comes to hunting outside. I mean, mountain lions don't have computers, you know, so they're not on YouTube watching videos of uh, Dan Infault learning how to, I mean, it might help them a little bit, you know? <laughs> but they're not watching YouTube videos of, on the internet of all the, of the whitetail guys um, or any, you know, videos for that matter. Cause they're mountain lions and they live out there. And that's what makes them so good at hunting is they're always doing it. And they move quietly. Um, they are always paying attention to their surroundings. And I just think as hunters, we can, we can take something from that
4: Oh and, yeah. and
3: pay attention to the noises the birds are making, right? That book, what the Robin knows to learning about tracking. The more you learn about that place you're in, the more you're going to become a part of it. And it's like, as humans, we are animals. And so yes. I think that we've just disconnected ourselves and we've made hunting a little more complicated sometimes than it needs to
1: be. I, I, uh, I concur. I think that's a great conclusion and, uh, a great observation, um, with talking about the mountain lion, because in my elk hunting, um, I'm really transitioning from, uh, wanting to go out there and being, you know, a bull elk, uh, bugling at all the elk, trying to, to lure them in to, Really wanting to become the mountain lion and 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 get more sneaky and more sly and uh being able to read the sign that's on the landscape to utilize to my uh to toolkit. yeah to my to my toolkit to my benefit so yeah uh yeah, I think that uh this was a great yeah. podcast, yeah, so once again, you know don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. we appreciate the support. Uh, all our Patreon supporters, uh, we really appreciate you guys sticking in there and supporting the podcast. Uh, we're gonna get on there and add some some more things for you guys here in the future. Uh, working on some things, so check out uh, our Patreon page. Check out our website at TragQuest.com. We're on Instagram. You can find Jack on Instagram at uh, Jack Harrison Survival. Uh, don't forget to support your local bowhunting organizations and our national bowhunting organization, Compton Traditional, uh, PBS, and always keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.
0: Head is full of wanderlust, the is full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold dogs, snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got nimrod neurosis, longbows on, long on the brain. I'm an outdoor jockey, through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few. I've got Nimrod Roses, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie, through and through, hunts my middle name.